Good morning, Missio. I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes, There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them into action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in the matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it'll be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you will be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have been, by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accomplishes your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity, your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else, and in their prayers for you, for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Welcome, love to get connected with you. There's some links uh, in the chat or like in the description. You can go fill out a connect card there and somebody will be in contact with you. If you've been here a bunch, whatever. No, I'm just joking, we love you, thankful for you. Uh, if you have been here with us, then you know that we are in a series called Mountains Made of Clay, working through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And throughout this letter, Paul has had, maybe you could say like a singular purpose, a singular mission, this big overarching goal, and it's happened in different ways and in different contexts and through different subjects, but he's had this big overall goal, which is to help the church see their lives, their world, themselves, through the work of Jesus to see themselves as characters in the story of Jesus that is unfolding and moving and calling them into a bigger life, to see themselves as connected and a part of this bigger mission that God is doing. 
And he's done it in different ways. In some moments, Paul has tried to help them see themselves through the lens of the resurrection, to know that there's this big, total resurrection that changes everything. In different moments, he's tried to help them see themselves as connected, as a collective, a body, a community that's united in Jesus. In other moments, he's tried to help them see themselves as ambassadors or co-workers with Christ. In each of these, for Paul, it's just part of what it means to be in and of the story of Jesus in the world. And in the last couple of chapters, Paul has begun to take that same theme, but show us what it looks like more practically. It's still theological, it's still big, it's still unfolding this story that we're a part of, but now it's kind of moving into the practical pieces. And so in chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, we get Paul talking about how the work of Jesus, the story of Jesus, changes the way that we are in relationship with one another. And how it calls us to a self-sacrificial kind of stability for people. That changes the way Paul engages the church. It changes the way the church should engage him. It changes the way that we think about our relationship at a very practical and kind of like pragmatic level. In chapter 8, last week, Heather walked through a conversation about generosity. Paul is inviting the church in Corinth to give to the church in Jerusalem. But generosity is only the expression of their union, their foreness, their connection to the people at Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem's connection to them. This Jew and Gentile church who in Jesus has been united and that has practical, pragmatic ramifications for how they see each other, how they live in relationship to one another, how they welcome one another. And in chapter 9 where we are today, Paul continues in that conversation about generosity. But just like in chapter 8, there's a different, bigger conversation that he's having about our life in the work of Jesus. Chapter 9 begins, Paul is following up more practically on this conversation about giving. He says to the church that he's going to send to them Titus and another group of people to collect the money that the Corinthians have supposedly set aside for the Jerusalem church. And he spends a little bit of time just trying to tell them that it's not about compelling you or coercing you into giving. I don't want you to be embarrassed to give. I don't want to shame you into giving. And instead, he says this. He says, I don't want you to be coerced into giving. Instead, verse 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the phrase sowing and reaping. Maybe you think of Justin Timberlake's 2009 pop banger, What Goes Around Comes Around. Maybe you think about um, something like karma. Maybe you think about like that phrase, what goes around, comes around, you give what you get. And I think in some ways there's truth to that, like in what Paul is saying. But at the same time, I think what we are prone to do with phrases like that is turn sowing and reaping into a one-to-one formula. Turning sowing and reaping into a formula that if I give, I will receive. If I do this, it will result in that. If I can control the inputs, I can determine the outputs. Sowing and reaping becomes this formulaic thing. And I think it's hard not for us to do that because That's how our culture tends to work. We have mechanized so much of life for the sake of efficiency. It shapes so much of the way we live and the way we engage and the way we think about uh, our own development, our own marriages, our own families. It's like if we can learn the right principles, 
then we can apply them, and that leads to success. So I can learn the right principles for parenting, then I'll have successful children. If I can learn the right principles for marriage, I can have a successful marriage. If I can learn and do the right things for business, then I can have a successful business. If I can apply the right kind of thinking to the problems around me, I'll find the right answers. Sometimes we even do it with the government. Like if the government can just do these things, it will result in justice, one to one. If we do this, it will result in this. And we like this. I think this like formulaic kind of thinking is attractive to us. It's compelling to us because it gives us a sense of certainty and control. Control in that if I can do these things, if I can control what I do, then I have a sense of certainty that it will result in this output. Right? So it gives me a sense of certainty and control. The problem is, very little of actual life can be treated like a machine. Very little of life is managed like a formula. If I apply the right principles to marriage, it doesn't mean that I will have a marriage that looks like I thought it was going to. If I apply these principles or these laws or these rules to parenting, it does not mean that I will have quote-unquote perfect children. If I do it to my own life and my own discipline, it doesn't mean I will overcome addiction or overcome my coping mechanisms or just lead into whatever a successful, healthy output looks like. It doesn't mean those things. Even thinking about COVID-19, like if I can run a business well, it doesn't mean that I can predict COVID-19 and have a successful output on the other side. If you've ever gardened or you have a garden, you know that there is a lot in between sowing and reaping. There's a lot of things that happen in the middle of that statement, sowing and reaping. We have a garden. It's very hip to have a garden in the midst of COVID-19. We have a garden. And what we have learned, what I have learned, my wife always knew this, what I've learned is that it is not just sowing and reaping. There's this long period in the middle of it when birds and bugs eat the little plants that you've grown. When your cat decides to dig up your garden boxes and turn it into a giant litter box, destroying everything that you have. You learn that some plants, for no reason, just don't grow well. You did everything right, and they don't grow well. You realize that some other plants that you thought were going to die do way better than expected. Our whole garden box is just pumpkin. What do you even need a pumpkin for? And every single day, in between sowing and reaping, you have to tend You have to check on the plants. You have to water the plants. You have to pull weeds. You have to prune. Sometimes you have to actually prune the the fruit on the plant so that it produces even more. You have to care for the garden. And to the world that Paul spoke to, a community of agrarians, of people who knew the land, they would know that sowing and reaping was not a formula They would know that there is something that takes place in between the sowing and the reaping. It is not a one-for-one. It's not input to output. Instead, there is always a measure of mystery to sowing and reaping, and in between is the work of tending. And the work of tending is the sustained, often imperfect, constantly changing way of life. It is a sustained but often imperfect, often changing way of life. It's not a formula where you put money in a machine and expect an outcome. It is a way of life. 
Paul illustrates this in verse 9 when he quotes from Psalm 112, which we read for our call to worship. And there is this dialogue in there about what the righteous harvest. But if you're reading the passage, it's not about a one-to-one. It is about the way of life the righteous lead. Here are a few different moments from that psalm. The psalmist says, blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in God's commandments. That is about a way of life. Blessed are those who are gracious and compassionate. That's about a way of life. Blessed are those who conduct their affairs with justice. That's not about a one-to-one. That is about a consistent commitment. Blessed are those whose hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Steadfast is commitment, a way of life, a sustained existence. Blessed are those who freely scatter their gifts to the poor. Well, that's a consistent commitment. This reference that Paul makes to Psalm 112 is about a way of life. See, we turn sowing and reaping into a formula, and we miss that it is about tending. That it is about a sustained and imperfect kind of share. It is about showing up, pruning, pulling, and watering. It's not about applying the right principles to our marriage to have a successful marriage. It is about the long work of loving our spouse and our friends imperfectly. It's not about the discipline of just repressing whatever is happening inside of me, hoping that it leads to some like perfect outcome on the other side. It is about the long work of tending my own heart and my own needs and my own coping mechanisms so that I might live into something that is flourishing and healthy on the other side, as imperfect as that may be. It isn't about just like the perfect formula to help my neighbor meet Jesus. It is about sustained presence in our neighborhoods, opening up spaces of the kingdom where people might experience Jesus. It isn't about a formula, a one-to-one. It is about sowing and tending and reaping. Now, this is difficult for us, I think, because in so many ways it denies what our culture says. And so the only way that it works for us is if we know and trust the story of Jesus. So Paul brings us back. He's like, this is what it is. There's a tending that happens, a sowing and a tending and a reaping that happens in the Christian life, but it only happens because we know this larger story that Paul's been trying to tell the whole passage, which he says here in verse 10. Paul says this. He says, all of this makes sense because if he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now again, that could feel like he's saying, well, there's a one-to-one. Like if you just do this thing, then God will supply. But Paul is quoting Isaiah 55. It's a passage that comes way before this moment. And Isaiah 55 is actually about God's work. It's about the new creation thing that God is doing in the universe. Uh, Biblical scholar N.T. Wright actually sums it up saying this. He says, quote, God says, God says Paul provides seed for the sower and bread to eat. He's quoting Isaiah 55, and Isaiah 55 is this glorious invitation to all and sundry to come and feast on God's rich bounty because God is making a new creation in which everything will be renewed. So Paul quotes this in the middle to remind the Corinthians the story that they are a part of, that God is on this new creation mission to bring everything into renewal, to lay a table that is abundant and to invite us to feast at it. 
And he says that begins to change how we think about our own role and our own participation, our own sowing and our own tending, because those are activities that happen within the sowing and tending and reaping that God is doing in all of creation. How does it change things for us? Well, I think there's a few ways that it changes. The first is that if God is at work here, around us, even through us, then it reminds us that our sowing and our tending matter. That the work that we do as co-workers and participants with him matters. Jesus gives us a picture of this in Matthew 13 when he describes the kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a person took and planted in their field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of the garden's plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. We can miss like how mysterious and powerful and miraculous that is when we look for a large fix. But what Jesus is saying is that these small acts of tending and sowing are like the small seed of a mustard seed, which grows into something substantial and miraculous. And he's like, and that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so all of us are participating in this work that is sowing and tending the garden, which is being overcome by God's kingdom. We don't see it always. It's sometimes a mystery because it's small, sometimes insignificant. And yet God is at work in the middle of it. And it leads to this larger harvest. That's what Paul says next. He says, the reason it matters is God is at work here, but it also matters because God is at work bringing it all to completion. And so as we tend and as we care, we do so with an eye on what is to come. Here's what Paul says in verse 12. He says this, This service that you perform is not only supporting the needs of the people. So the tending that you're doing in this moment, it has this like practical ramification. You're caring for the needs of actual people. But it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. He's like, there's this dual effect to sowing and tending. You care for the needs of now, and you point towards what God is doing in the universe. So you care, and you tell a story about what's happening. A story about God's complete work, which reminds us that what we do matters, because it's in and through him. But there's a third reason for Paul that this is so significant for us. He says this in verse 11. He says, while you do this, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He's like, as you tend, as you care for the needs of others, as you point towards what God is doing, you are also shaped more and more into God's people. The people who know and experience the goodness of God themselves and then show it to the world around them. As you practice generosity, you become a person who experiences generosity and witnesses to generosity in the world around you. As you practice love, you become a loving people who experience it and demonstrate it to the world around you. This tending, he's like, there's this, there's this triple effect to it. You care for the ones around you, you point to a larger story, and you yourself are formed in the process. 
And in all of it, the kingdom is made known. This is why we're able to tend. Because of what it's doing in and through God's work. The truth is we don't always know what it'll look like and what the tending will be. We don't know the bugs will eat it. We don't know if COVID-19 will come. We don't know what kind of experiences we'll have in life. We don't even know how we will respond to our own tending. Every season will be different, which is why tending isn't about a formula. It's about a sustained and often imperfect commitment to the practices of Jesus. And so we have to pay attention. We have to adapt our tending. But we know that in all of our tending, a harvest is coming. That God is at work renewing all things in his kingdom. And that means that our tending gets to be a participant in this larger tending that God is doing. That we sow and reap in the great economy of God's sowing and reaping. And so we're assured in him. And so, Missio, what does that mean for us? Like, as a people who get to participate in the sowing and reaping and tending that God is doing, what does that mean for us? How does that shape us? How does that reorient us? How does that give us a new imagination for life in the here and now? Let me just give you a few questions to reflect on. And the first is this. Just, Monsieur, how do you tend to turn the work of God into a formula? Where in your life do you try to mechanize things to make it one-to-one? Is it in your relationships? Is it your relationship to God? Is it how you like, embody in a house church? Is it how you think about like, loving your neighbors? Where do you turn the work of God into a formula? Where do you turn the work of God into a one-to-one formula? Now, as you think about that space where you tend to turn God's work into a formula, will you then ask yourself, like, what would it look like to use that instead of a formula, but as a moment of tending. How could I tend there instead of turn it into a formula? How could I make it about a sustained, often imperfect commitment to the practices of Jesus as opposed to a one-to-one formula? And so maybe with your neighbors, it's about showing up consistently. As opposed to thinking that if I have a party or if I tell them the gospel, then everything will be fixed. Instead, it's about how do I commit myself to knowing them? With your spouse, it's about committing to knowing them. Maybe in this example, Paul is talking about generosity. Maybe it's the same. It's about a commitment to a sustained kind of generosity towards a people or a person. And that leads to the third question, which is what practices will help you tend? Is it talking to your neighbors? Is it giving continually? What practices will help you tend this week? And one practice that we do every single week that always helps us tend is the practice of the table. And the reason this practice helps us tend is because it's not a formula, it's a meal. Like God didn't say that if you take this bread and you drink this cup, then everything in your life would be fixed and you would just be perfect on the other side. It said it is a meal where we are intended to encounter God and it's like God is doing a tending work in that space and we're invited to also participate. That's how meals are. You don't know what happens at the end of a meal. You can't control what happens at the end of a meal. So the question is, will you be, pay, be present, pay attention to what God is doing in that space? 
And as we tend at the table in our own lives, it helps us understand that God is at work in us and what it can look like for us to participate in God's tending work outside of there. So, Missy, wherever you are, whether you're home, you're on a coffee table, you're watching this on your phone at the kitchen counter, would you take a moment to gather at your table? To take whatever bread you have, whatever cup you have, whatever juice you have, whatever breakfast cereal you have, and to use it as a moment to tend. To take the cup, to take the bread, and remember that all of our tending happens in the work of God's tending. And then it makes sense and has confidence and assurance because it ends in the new creation table that God lays. So, Monsieur, let's pray and then come to the table. God, we thank you that you are at work in a way that is bigger and overwhelming and um, that like takes up all of the work that we do, all of the energy of us, that it actually has a space in you and the thing that you're doing, which gives it a sense of like location, a sense of presence, a sense of purpose. Help us never flip that order to put our work above yours and to try to turn it into a formula. But instead to recognize that our place is within your story and your tending and your reaping. Help us to know and experience that today and to be a people who live and extend that. In your name we pray. Amen.